Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we sit down with Captain Jay Carson of Perry, Florida, and talk about stocking shallow water redfish, tips on educating anglers, and how to make the most of your time on the water. Jay is a high school science teacher as well as a fishing guide, and over the past year, I've had the opportunity to fish and hunt with Jay on several different occasions, and I know that you're going to enjoy his perspective and love for his fishery. I hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Let's so look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Hey, Jay, thanks so much for hanging out with us today and making time for the podcast. One of the things that I love to do at the beginning is just hear about how people first got into fishing and got on the water. Could you give us your background story? Yeah, first of all, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, some of the guys that you've had on this podcast are, you know, kind of legends in the industry and just having the opportunity as myself, you know, uh, not quite quite having the foothold in the industry that these other people have, but having the opportunity to come on here is uh, really cool. So I appreciate that first. Mm-hmm. Um so how I got into fishing was um, basically my dad, he got me started as a kid, you know, just taking me along with him as as he went out in the outdoors. And, um, you know, my dad was never a diehard outdoorsman. He would go fishing occasionally, go go hunting occasionally, but he would always usually tag me along. Um, and I was always one, if I was introduced into something and I enjoyed it, I would just go full bore into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't always have the opportunity to be on the water a lot as a kid because we moved around. Um, I was born early. Uh, my, my mom was 19 when she had me. My dad was 21. Uh, he went into medical school. Hmm. And so throughout the med- medical school and residency and, um, you know, just kind of getting established in the medical field, we moved around a lot as I was a kid. So, um, but I usually always found a way to have access to the water or get outside and do stuff like that. So um, then once I got older and could drive, um, we lived in a little place in South Georgia and my family owns a ranch in Lamont or mm-hmm. North Florida. And so I would always take off on the weekends and drive there and go hunt and go fish. And, mm-hmm. um, also my, my, on both sides of my family, my, my mother's dad and my father's dad, they both own property in South Florida, mm-hmm. one on the West coast, one on the East coast. And so in the summertime, we would always go down to little Gasparilla Island and spend the summers down there, snook fishing and hanging out on the, on the dock and, and going out on the boat. And, uh, so that's kind of where I was introduced into saltwater fishing. And whenever we'd go down there, you know, 
I would see the you know super nice boats going by and and these guys that would go by and I was, and I would think to myself you know one day I'd like I I think I'd kind of like to do that yeah um, those guys look cool yeah they do you know especially down in South Florida they got all those you know the really nice boats with the towers on them oh, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and yeah so um so anyway that's kind of where I my salt my love for saltwater came from is being down there um and you know grew up going down there and then uh, finally got married had kids. Um, I still live in North Florida. Uh, I live in Perry, Florida, which is a little town outside of Tallahassee, mm-hmm. about uh, 50 miles southeast of Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Uh, met my wife there uh, in 2002. I've been fishing that coastline for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, started out kayak fishing uh, in a kayak, just learning our, that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically from, I don't know, St. Mark's all the way down to kind of just past kind of Cedar Key area. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, started learning that. Um, bought a boat, uh, continued to learn, and then just decided that one day, you know, I was, I, I kind of always wanted to be a guide, and so I'd go ahead and get my captain's license and kind of pursue that side of the, or pursue that as maybe a, a career or, or a career option in the future. Yeah, and and um, one of the things I also want you to kind of share with us is a little bit about how your fishery is set up and how you target redfish predominantly. Sure. Um, I've been out on the boat with you several times and then even have had uh, some of my father's clients have gone out on mm-hmm. the boat with you and yeah. had incredible days. Yeah. And um, I think that you guys have an absolute pristine fishery, and I love the style of fishing out there. Could you just give everybody a taste uh, of what it's like and what, what your setup is? Yeah. Do I have to? no i'm just um so so one of the things about our fishery is it's i would i wouldn't say it's undiscovered but it's undiscovered for the uh type of fishing that that i enjoy and the the kind of fishing that i like to do Mm -hmm. uh, which is predominantly uh sight fishing um so and and it you know i I do a lot of fly fishing but i also do a lot of light tackle you know Mm -hmm. spin fishing as well uh i'm not discriminatory um, whatever the you know client wants to do or whatever I feel like doing that day is what we're what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a one of the the things I guess that makes our fishery so special is it's kind of in a transition area. We've got beautiful grass flats with clear water, mm-hmm. but then you know, and, and if you go in one direction and if you go in another area, you got a lot of creeks and marsh mm-hmm. and uh, different types of of terrain there. So you've got an option there. But as far as the sight fishing goes, you know, the clear water and the grass flats. Um, make it make it really special. Yeah, I love that turtle grass. And another thing I love about it too is when you're on that part of the coast, I mean, you don't even see houses in some of the areas. That's true, yeah. Yeah, you can get out and not see a house for miles, you know. Yeah. Um, which is not normal for most of, uh, you know. And not see a boat <laughs> until this podcast. <laughs> there, yeah, right. I know. Uh, there, there are days where, you know, you don't see another boat on the water, which yeah. is, you know, there's not too many places you can go and do that. I remember the first time we were fishing together and I had a huge overslot gurgler eat yep. in the grass flats yep. and no houses around, no yep. boats around. And I was like, this is, I'm calling this little Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful, a beautiful fishery. Um, and one of the things that, that I also wanted to kind of talk to you about was I know that you're a full-time school teacher right. in the county and you're also pursuing your career in guiding can you talk about how you made that decision and then also maybe some of the challenges that you've experienced trying sure. to balance all those sure. things and you have a family yes. and you have what, seven, eight, ten kids I've, now? <laughs> I've got three kids. Three kids. Yeah, okay. three kids. Um, an eight, a five-year-old and a seven-month-old. So uh, it's it's crazy at home right now with the quarantine and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, 
so how did I make that decision? So it's kind of a, an interesting uh, story on that. Um, so I've kind of always had it in the back of my mind that I I love to fish. I love to be on the water, and and if you can make a way to make a, or find a way to make money doing that, you know that that's kind of the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just never had the, I guess, ability financially to to just dive in mm-hmm. head on. Um, so I went to school to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I currently uh, I've, I've been teaching for twelve years. Mm-hmm. This is my twelfth year teaching. What led you to do that? Uh, um, you know, honestly. Uh, it's just kind of something that that uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in school. I took the long route through school mm-hmm. instead of the four year track. The, I was on the, the like eight year track or something like that. <laughs> the extended plan, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I finally decided on okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach. You know, you get summers off, you get mm-hmm. spring break, Christmas, yeah. you get a lot of time off during the year, and and plus you can have an impact on mm-hmm. you know other people. So that was kind of the things that drew me to it. Um, and so, like I said, I've been doing that for 12 years, and there was a, a significant event in, in, that happened in my life about five years ago. And in 2015, my dad passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of an event that led me to think, okay, Jay, if you're going to go out and you know, kind of do the things that you want to do, mm-hmm. you need to do them now before it gets too late. Mm-hmm. And so um, with my dad passing away and, and my mom got some, uh, you know, a good bit of uh, life insurance money, mm-hmm. she was like, hey, I, I want to help you get started. Mm-hmm. Um, so she helped me uh, on a boat. She, she fronted the down payment. I, wow. I, I do the payments. And, and so she helped me with that. And that, that gave me the, the, the keys to kind of get going. I obviously mm-hmm. didn't get my captain's license at first, but it gave me the tool to get out there and, and learn the, the waters the way that I wanted to learn them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our area, it's very tide dependent. And so you have to learn when the fish or, or when you can see the fish, when you can find the fish as mm-hmm. far as redfish are concerned. Um, and so it took me about three, four years to really figure out that I can find fish consistently and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, put people on, on fish consistently. And so once I had done that, I, and plus, you know, I had all this other years of fishing the coastline and then learn it and everything like that, um, you know, just wade fishing or kayak fishing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I decided I'd go ahead and get my captain's license and, and just kind of do it in my spare time or as many trips as I can run, um, you know, throughout the year, whether it's weekends or holidays or during the summer and uh, afternoons, you know, when, the the nice thing about being a school teacher is we're out of school at three o'clock. So, mm-hmm. you know, there'd be days where I'd, and, and my wife has been awesome about this. Um, she pretty much anytime I asked to go on the water, I, Hey, I need to go get some scouting in, or I got a trip coming up. My mm-hmm. wife is just really good about understanding that mm-hmm. that's what you got to do to be successful. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I got my captain's license and, uh, I felt like I was ready to, to try to, you know, put people on fish consistently and, mm-hmm. and do something that I love and make a little extra money doing it. And, um, so far so good. Yeah. What are some of the challenges of just trying to kind of juggle family full-time job guiding, I think there'd be the obvious challenge. Yeah, time. obviously time. You know, the time mm-hmm. thing is, you know, having a full-time job. We work 180 days a year, which really, I mean, if you think about it, it's half the year. 180 days a year um, is our school calendar um, from 7.30 in the morning until 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So there's a lot of days where, you know, during the week, as soon as school gets out, I get out and I go hit the water and I'm on the water until dark or uh, during the week, weekends, most weekends, I'm, mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm out there whether I'm running trips or not. I'm out there just, you know, trying to stay on top of fish. And um, the challenges of that is just, you know, having three kids, uh, spending time with my wife, making sure I get the time in that I need to spend with her and, and the things that she likes to do and uh, doing those. Um, and just making sure that I'm, you know, staying connected to what's going on in my fishery, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the year. Uh, sometimes that's easier than others. Um, but I feel like I do a pretty good job of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is obviously I know you and I feel like there's a lot of um, incorrect stereotypes about mm-hmm. people who aren't quote unquote full time guides. Sure. And the stereotypes might be that they're not as passionate about it. They might not uh, know as much about what's happening on the water. But I know the commitment that you have mm-hmm. to learning your waters, mm-hmm. to studying your mm-hmm. waters, to trying to get as much time as you can on mm-hmm. it. And I also know that a part of it is, you know, you could be somebody who's on the water every day and not noticing as much and therefore not getting as much from that time. Right. You also could be somebody who is quote unquote full time, but still not booking as many charters. Right. What are ways that you try to leverage your time on the water to be as highly impactful as possible for your scouting and everything? So the ways that I leverage my time on the water would be very similar to when I would tell my clients to fish with me is I'm fishing during ideal tide conditions. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, not no, so much weather, weather you can't control, but you can control when, you know, mm-hmm. you're out there as far as the tides, tides go. Cause our fishery, especially the sight fishing part of it is predominantly tide dependent. Um, and so just being able to take advantage of those windows mm-hmm. that I get, you know, when I know it's going to be good and I know I'm going to be able to find fish and keep track of where those fish are mm-hmm. and, uh, stay on top of, of what they're doing and, and, um, so I think that's a big key as far as, you know, being, I guess, in tune with what's going on is, mm-hmm. is maximizing the best times to be out there and making sure that I'm out there during those times. Yeah. And the times that I've fished with you too, it's always been about learning, learning, learning. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, we'll be driving and you'll be like, I know that there's a lot of schools over here, mm-hmm. but we're going to go down mm-hmm. here. And I'm like, no, let's go here. No, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, but you, you, yeah, you, you're my guinea pig. I, I, I we've had some rough yeah. days because <laughs> no, no, but I mean, it's understandable because I mean, and you know, my dad's a guide, so I understand it's like, you know, the, the thing that I think I, I really appreciate you about you is that you have a desire to try to learn your fishery really, sure. really well. Yeah. And when we go out there, the temptation would be, well, you know, I got guests on the boat, you know, even if they're buddies, I want to put them on fish, mm-hmm. but to be able to say, I'm willing to take some risk mm-hmm. and to go where I'm not sure if they are mm-hmm. rather than just going and pounding the same right. zone or group yep. or whatever. Um, what tips would you give to guys who are part-time or maybe somebody who is thinking about going part-time into guiding? Um, you know, that's a good question. Some tips that I would give is, you know, if you're hesitant about it, you don't know unless you try it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's kind of where I was, you know, I, I needed that little kick in the rear just to kind of get me, um, to do it. Um, and then, you know, like we were talking about earlier, maximize your time on the water. If you only get windows, man, you gotta, you gotta figure out what, and, and, and it just didn't happen, you know, quickly for me. I mean, I'd been fishing our area for 20 years, so I had 20 years of experience to, to rely on before I, you know, made the decision to, you know, to go into fishing and, and guiding, you know, you got to take advantage of as much time as you get to get on the water. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing. I think, you know, there's no substitution. I think we've heard this on the, on, Mm -hmm. on your podcast a ton is there's no substitution for time on the water Mm -hmm. and just trying to maximize that time and be productive that in that time that you get and just absorb as much information as you can get, Mm -hmm. you know, while you're out there. 
And, um, and what about the long game for you? Do you feel like, because I feel like there would be certain advantages to starting your career because, you know, you'd mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, you know, that I've interviewed some people who've spent 45 plus years mm-hmm. on the water, but I'm also interested in interviewing people who are relatively new in their mm-hmm. careers, hearing their perspective, what they've learned, what what they're thinking. For you, like, how are you trying to set yourself up for the long game? What's the plan there? So, you know, it's, I don't have to rush anything. That's kind of the nice thing, you know? Hmm. Um, I've got a uh, steady income. I've got, um, you know, health insurance and retirement mm-hmm. and all that. So I can choose to build my business, my you know, my fishing business the mm-hmm. way that I want to build it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to take every Joe, Tom, Dick, and Harry that, you know, that calls mm-hmm. up and says, hey, I want to, you know, go, you know, I don't know, shark fishing or whatever, yeah. you know? Um I can, you know, kind of build the build it the way that I want it and take the types of clients that, mm-hmm. that I would like to do, which is, you know, predominantly, I love to sight fish, so that's what I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm sight fishing where we're, we're seeing fish in the water. One of the things that's phenomenal about our fishery is is the, uh, we get a lot of tailing redfish. Mm-hmm. Um, I would compare it to anywhere in the state mm-hmm. during certain t- periods, you know, f- for tailing redfish. Um, which is very cool, and if you know somebody's never sight fished a tail and redfish before, it's a it's a exciting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I, I'm I'm getting off track here. What was what was the main question there? Oh, just uh, I was saying, I felt like there were some advantages to oh, and then the long game. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry. So the advantage, uh, uh, I mean, so my long game, my my ideal plan down the road is, I haven't 100 percent decided if I'm gonna maybe if I build my business big enough to switch over and do it mm-hmm. full time, because. Like, like I was just saying, there's, there's such a security blanket, you mm-hmm. know, that I have that I can fall back on that if the things, you know, like what we're going through now, yeah, perfect you know, example. a perfect example, you know, I, I, I've got a bunch of guide friends. Some, some of them are staying busy, but some of them have lost a ton of business mm-hmm. and you know, they don't have that safety net mm-hmm. that I've got, you know, I've still got a, a monthly income, you know, I still get my, my, my money. I'm having to do remote teaching, which makes it a little bit easier right now for me to get on the water. But mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, I, I would be kind of out of luck, yeah. you know. Yeah. So having that safety net is nice. And, and trying to decide whether to completely get rid of that is is going to be a tough decision, I think, down the road. I think at some point, if my business gets, you know, my fishing business gets big enough, I'm going to have to make that decision at some point. Mm-hmm. But whether that's three years down the road or 10 years down the road or, Mm. you know, we'll see. It's a nice dilemma to be in. It's like when I worked with high school students and they would be stressed because they're like, I don't know if I should, you know, go to Florida or Florida state. And they're all stressed. (laughs) And I'm like, do you realize, you know, you're in a good spot, but this is what you're stressed about, you know? And I think, yeah, just trying to take it one day at a time makes perfect sense. And I do think that this season right now we're recording this in the crazy Corona. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, shut down. It's like, I know tons of guides who are, are really in tough spots and it's been neat to see different industry people yeah. and, uh, companies try to rally to help support them. But it, it is a tough, you know, to, if we go into an economic recession right. or, yeah. you know, just a lot of variables, hurricanes with hurricane yep. Michael coming through. I mean, just there's all sorts of things. And, um, I do feel like one of the things that, that, doesn't always get talked about is some of the advantages to being Mm part-time, you know, and to having, uh, you know, I've interviewed some firefighters and 
Jonathan Hamilton is mm-hmm. a firefighter, mm-hmm. and he's he, I mean he's full time during tarpon season. He's right. on the water every day during right. tarpon season. Yeah, and, and you know with with me being a teacher, I'm off during the summer, so uh, same situation for me. I can be on the water every day during the summer. So, um, well, next thing I'd love to talk about, though, kind of transitioning from the fact that is uh, I see some advantages to being a teacher and having a background in yeah. education. I'd love for you to share what are some um, some advantages that you have from having a background in education when it comes to guiding? I think being able to explain why things the way they are happening the way they are, you know, um, when my students ask questions, um, being able to, to, you know, I'm dealing with teachers or teenagers. I teach high school. I'm a high school science teacher. Um, so, you know, you have to think of creative ways to explain things to, to teenagers sometimes, in order for them to understand it mm-hmm. and just having, you know, maybe the ability to communicate things as to why certain things are happening on the water, um, in a similar fashion, mm-hmm. uh, I think might be, is, is a kind of an advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why are, why are we doing this? What's happening in this situation? What's the tide doing? Mm-hmm. Why is, um, you know, why aren't we seeing the fish here? Like we saw them, you know, in a different spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just having that, that experience and being able to explain during certain situations and the way things are on the water, I think translates pretty good. Yeah. If I want to be a good teacher and I want to do a good job, maybe I'm a dad, mom, sure. guide, whatever. What are some tools that teachers use to try to help people in their Man, understanding? Honestly, it's the same thing. You know, I've been listening to this podcast since pretty much since you started it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it's brought up so many times is relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I kind of pride myself in. I mean, you can ask my students maybe if if we have good relationships or not. I don't know that they would tell me specifically, but I feel like I build a pretty good relationship with my students Mm. um, that allows them to, you know, to to trust me with what I'm saying or what I'm teaching them. Um, And I think that transitions pretty well over into guiding as well, Mm. you know, building those relationships and being able to, to, you know, carry conversations and relate to people and, and, you know, in, in a variety of different ways. Yeah. And I haven't heard anybody talk about the connection between building a relationship and trust and how mm-hmm. that would impact them listening to you. Sure. I've heard a lot of guides say they get frustrated because they'll be like trying to tell somebody, okay, this is what we're going to do here. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the guy, well, my last guide said, mm-hmm. and, they, and really having that dilemma mm-hmm. of just like not trusting them. And, mm-hmm. you know, usually when I go into a fishery, I want to, Man, however you want to do it. How do you? How do yeah. you, What what flies? The only yeah. time I've ever not th- thrown something with you is when I had the magic school bus. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. I tied up a special fly. Yeah, I yeah. was determined yeah. to catch one on yeah. a fly that I call the magic school bus. Yeah. Which, uh, after beta testing, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll stay put in that the one ball. back in the box. We'll put that one back in there after a few but, rejections. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, could you speak to that a little bit? Like, what are some ways that people can build trust with? their clients or with man you just be open and honest i think is the biggest thing um you know i'm trying to think about how i build build it build the relationship and trust with my students care care you know caring about their Mm -hmm. their best interest Hmm. um you know when i when i care about my students best interest in the classroom but also care about my clients best interest on on the boat i think Mm -hmm. you feel that i think they they understand that, and it means a lot, you know. Um, so I think, you know, kind of basically to sum up, uh, caring about, you know, whether it's your clients or your, or your students' best interest and, and making sure that that 
is what they feel, I think mm-hmm. is the best way to build that relationship. You had mentioned, you know, growing up that you didn't really have a family that was super saltwater right. oriented. Right. Yeah, no. Not... Who who taught you when it came to saltwater? You know, um um my dad a little bit. Um, you know, when I when I was a kid, we would fish off the dock at night for snook under lights at at in Little Gasparilla Island. You know, we just drop a shrimp under there or whatever, but um you know, most of it has been self interest, I would say. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I never really had anybody to, to rely on or bounce ideas off of once I got old enough and we, and my granddad still had that house on, on little Gasparilla Island and they trusted me with driving the boat and stuff. When I was 18, 19, I would get out and just, man, just try to figure out stuff on my own. I'd go out and figure out how to catch my own bait and, and, you know, try different spots and stuff like that to see what would work. I would, you know, watch what these other guys were doing and, and try to, you know, do something similar, but it's always been kind of me on my, my own, you mm-hmm. know, trying to figure it out. Uh, I've had a few people here and there to bounce things off of. Uh, I got a good buddy, um, that, that I, you know, fish with Evan, Evan Snow, mm-hmm. uh, who runs Appalachian inshore charters, um, who's somebody right now that I, we, I kind of really lean mm-hmm. on because there's days, you know, when, you know, I'm in the classroom and I'm teaching and I can't be out on the water. So mm-hmm. it's nice to have somebody that, uh, you know, if I got a question about, you know, yeah. hey, what's the water temper or, or what what were the tides doing today? Did you, you know, did you catch any on top water yeah. or not today? Um, so having somebody bounce like that off of is, is helpful. But as far as learning our area and the style that I, I fish, I will say there's one guy who's down there. His name's Michael Lynn, and he was the first one to take me out and show me a, a tail and redfish in our, in our area. And mm-hmm. that was just, man, that was what clicked. Yeah. Tell me about that. I, I was mean, like... So I was like five or six years ago, something like that. Cause I'd fished our area for a long time before I even knew that you could, you know, really sight fish it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's funny cause his son is one of my students and I used to be the golf coach there at, at, at the high school too. And he was one of my golfers mm-hmm. and his dad was like, Hey, why don't you and Graham come out on the boat? We're, we're going to go chase some redfish this evening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we went out and, uh, we were, just, we were waiting for the tide to get, you know, get right. And these fish started showing and man, I, I was like, that, that's really, that's really cool. That's what I want to do with my life. <laughs> that's what I, I want to do this again. Yeah. Um, so I just figured out, you know, and then I spent the next, I, I bought my boat about, I don't know, it was probably a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to figure out how much and how long I can see these fish, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, the, the longest amount of time, what, what windows can I always find these fish in? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty good. You know, I, um, our fit, our fishery is as far as, you know, sight fishing for redfish, you know, nine months out of the year, it's, it's pretty phenomenal during, mm-hmm. during those tide windows. Um, mm-hmm. so, but yeah, that was the first experience and that was kind of okay, what, what triggered the whole, you know, thing to make me want to go and, you know, sight fish, redfish. Yeah. I had been hunting and fishing my whole life and it wasn't until a few years ago that I saw a tarpon swimming mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm going to go home mm-hmm. and sell it. <laughs> Chase these yeah. Things. Yeah. No, I mean, no that's no, the next addiction. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh. Um, uh, you know, one of the things too, I think not just the education background, but the science background. Uh, yeah. Do you consider yourself a scientist? I don't <laughs> consider myself a scientist. No, no, I've taught. But are you science e? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit science. That was my Science-ish. favorite subject in, in. That was my favorite subject in school. Uh, I've taught biology for 11 years. I teach chemistry this year. Um, biology is by far my favorite. So you know, whenever we get to the, 
you know, the marine ecosystem stuff. Yeah. That was always, you know, exciting. really cool. You light yeah. up. Yeah. You're like, uh, not that you would ever keep a redfish, but, you know, you're bringing in redfish and you're like, okay, we're going to fillet these. We're going to do some anatomy <laughs> and then drop the fillets in the cooler yeah. on the way. Yeah. <laughs> no. You know, no, no anatomy lessons on the boat, though, yeah. fortunately. So, yeah. Um, do you, do you find that though? I mean, on a serious note, just kind of giving you more, uh, connection to tides and, you know, barometric pressure and things like that. I mean, do you, yeah, do you, I, you think know, you're scientifically? always, you're all, yeah. I mean, so, I don't know that I think, think any more scientifically than any other good fisherman mm-hmm. does, you know, um, the thing that I pay attention to most is, is tides, mm-hmm. um, tides and then weather. Um, but as far as, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I think of it any more scientifically than. What's than the it. scientific method again in brief? So the scientific method is, you know, if you hadn't asked me, I could, I could just spout this right off, right uh-huh. off the top of my head. It's you formulate a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, then you form a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Then you have to test that question through uh, experimentation. Mm-hmm. And then you analyze your data. Mm-hmm. And then you form a cl- conclusion. See, that seems like that would work on fishing. Uh, I think it does. Where is I think it blank does. fish? Yeah, absolutely. And then here's you, what I think I you, need to do to right? get to it. And then you go test it, see if it works. You go test it. And then, and then you, you analyze it's it. either successful or it's not. If it's successful, you're like, okay, I need to repeat this. If it's not, then you go back to the drawing board. You ask questions and you figure out why it wasn't successful. And is it Somebody famously said if you, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and Expecting different, expecting different different results. results. Yeah. yeah. And is that tied to that, I, I guess? I guess. I feel like it is. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's such thing as overanalyzing. Yeah, you can definitely overanalyze on the water, and I think everybody's guilty of that. Which we turkey hunted some this year. Yes. And we definitely overanalyzed. We overanalyzed the, the heck out of uh, some, some turkeys, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> their, their brains are the size of peas. And, <laughs> and we act like they're, uh, you know, why did they Rocket do that? Scientists, why did they yeah. do this, yeah. you know? And it's like, because they are turkeys. <laughs> And I call them the tarpon of the woods, but uh, that you know that's a good analogy. That's yeah. a great analogy because sometimes, so, sometimes you know, you know, tarpon do things that you're just like, well, what'd they do that for? I mean, they're tracking right down this land all of a sudden, and they they, they turn off, or or a bird's coming in, he's gobbling good, and, yeah. and all of a sudden he hangs up on a hill seventy yards away, strutting <laughs> in front of you, and you can't get him to come any closer. My my first tarpon eat made no sense, <laughs> and then I remember the first time I ever got my fly in front of the tarpon, I was like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And they're like. Nothing. It just didn't want it. And I was like, well, why, why didn't it want it? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. and, uh, no, that's, that's fun. I would love to transition into some rapid fire questions. Sure. Absolutely. So I would love for you to give us some pointers on sight fishing redfish, because I know that that's predominantly what you do. Mm-hmm. You spend 95% of your yeah, time. Yeah. I would say 90, 95% of my time doing 96 that. Yeah. Point, yeah. Uh, a percent of your time doing that. What are some pointers on trying to locate and set up on tailing redfish? Man, you got to pay attention to, I, I've said it like several times, but it, it tides, um, tides are the critical factor, but don't just pay attention to, to low and high, you know, it's more intricate than that. Um, you know, you got to figure out in my areas, it might be, you know, I'm regionally specific. So what I'm saying might not be, you know, the same on the East coast. Cause you know, on the East coast, they've got those flood tide fish yeah. that, you know, what tide comes up is what you want over there. Yeah. You know, in my area, you typically want a, a low tide. Um, and so you got to pay attention to when that low tide is, 
uh, how low it is, whether, you know, because not all low tides are the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, a zero low is different than a plus 1.3 low. You know, that's a foot and a, you know, almost a foot and a half difference of water, which makes a big difference when you're trying to, uh, you know, find fish or have fish show, um, mm-hmm. you know, while you're out there on the flats. Um, so tides, I'd say, is the biggest thing. Just figuring out when you, when you can find fish, at what point is, you know, what would be the, uh, I guess the maximum level of water that you can mm-hmm. still see fish in. Mm-hmm. And then obviously for, for my area, lo- there's no low is too low for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the lower the tide, the better for me, mm-hmm. um, just cause it gives me a, a much longer window, mm-hmm. uh, to fish in. Mm, that's so. good. My next one is what are your thoughts on Bill Nye, the science guy? <laughs> um, you know, I come from a religious background. Yeah. I'll just say that. And Bill doesn't. Yeah. So I, I won't get into too much details, but I'll just I'll just say that his views differ from mine. Yeah. A little bit. I feel like he um he made scientists cliche. Yeah, yeah. You can say that. <laughs> he didn't make them any cooler. <laughs> uh no, I don't think so. They made yeah, he made he gave he he definitely gave the nerdy per- perception, kept yeah. it going. Okay, that was totally irrelevant, but I had to do it. Um, so you had mentioned, you know, the impact that your father passing away mm-hmm. made on you. Mm-hmm. In what ways has your father uh, impacted you as a guide? Like, what what areas of him do you feel like are coming out in you? I think that's a good question. My dad was kind of always stern, you know, not very emotional. Um, you were lucky if you got, you know, a hug. Mm-hmm. Um, but he always lets you know that that he he you meant something to him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and he always took care of us. So I think, you know, and he was also, you know, a man of his word. He, if he said something he was going to do, he did it. Mm-hmm. He treated people the right way that, um, so I think that that kind of carries over cause you know, I want to treat things, treat people the right way. I want to do things the mm-hmm. right way in the fishing industry. Cause I do believe there, you know, there is a right way to do something and a wrong way to do something, especially in, in the, in the guide world, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so I've always been of the mindset that I wanted to do things the right way. I don't want to step on toes. I don't want to encroach into somebody's area that they're, you know, that they've worked hard Mm -hmm. to figure out. Uh, and I, and, you know, I would hope that, that I would get the same type of, um, treatment. You know, I work hard to figure out my area. It's taken, you know, many years. And so, you know, just things like that, you know, Mm -hmm putting a lot of time and effort in something like he did. He loved to woodwork and he put a lot of time and effort and care into that stuff. And so I think, so those are some of the traits that, that have kind of carried through Mm -hmm. to guiding. Outside of time on the water, Mm -hmm. what have you found to be the most helpful thing the past five years in you becoming a better captain and angler? Outside of time on the water. Um, I'd say building relationships in the industry Hmm. has been very helpful. Um, I don't have a lot of relationships and I don't know a lot of, you know, people that have been doing it for years and years and years. Um, but you know, building a relationship with your dad has Mm -hmm. been, you know, been helpful. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, my other buddies who guide in our, in our area, you know, have been helpful and, and, um, just having those, those people to lean on, ask questions on, you know, Hey, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. You know, if I got this instance, you know, what do I do? Jimmy Long's another one. I've known Jimmy for 10, 10, 
10 or 12 years Mm -hmm. or so. And so, you know, having him as I was kind of thinking about getting into it and, Mm -hmm. you know, having him to ask questions and stuff about it was, was helpful. I think, I think those relationships that you have in the industry, um, can definitely be something that is beneficial. What's one mistake that you made out in the gate when you first started guiding that you wish you hadn't made? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I was always so careful not to jump headfirst into it. You know what I mean? Um, making sure that I was had enough knowledge of of you know local knowledge of of the area and and how to find fish you know throughout most of the tide and and throughout the day and and so I don't know that I have one yet. I'm still I'm still kind to of to be determined to be determined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know that I've made any big mistakes yet, or or at least nobody's told me that I maybe I have and mm-hmm. I just don't know it. But it's a it's you know maybe that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What has been your favorite memory on the water the past few years of guiding? Um, one of my favorite memories is is guiding my my one of my good friends uh, to his first redfish on fly is is a is a cool one. Um, that one, and then guiding um, or guiding somebody to their first tarpon on fly on my boat was a pretty cool memory as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I'd say those two stick out. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's fun about talking to young guys in the industry who are at the beginning of their career is kind of asking them, okay, what are some things that you're hoping to achieve for you? Like when you look at, okay, let's talk about 60 year old, you know, yeah, 60 year old you, yeah. what are you hoping you will have achieved as a guide? You know, it's, that's a good question. Cause I'm not, I'm competitive but I, I don't fish competitively. You know, some mm-hmm. people fish competitively. You've had people on here that fish competitively. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm looking for is giving people an experience that, you know, they may not get to have ever experienced before. Um, and, and providing that to, to, you know, a variety of different people, maybe whether it's their first redfish or fly on, or whether it's their, um, look seeing their first tail and redfish ever, you know, because mm-hmm. some people have never seen that before, don't know how to do it. And um, so that's, that's something I think that when I look down my career mm-hmm. uh, that I will kind of enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Well, my last question would be if you could have one thing written on a billboard, and I like this one, <laughs> I haven't done this one in a while. If you could have yeah. one thing written yeah. on a billboard for everyone to see, what would it be? If you're driving through just, uh, and probably our, 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 our Taylor County, Tourism Commission would not approve of this sign, but um, mm-hmm. have a billboard says that just says, just keep driving. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, no, I love our fishery. It's great. It's it's relatively unfished. Um, you know, kind of th- that being the case, one of the things that, and I'm, I'm kind of going off mm-hmm. on a side tangent here, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I struggle with here as I'm doing this mm-hmm. is figuring out, you know, where do you walk that line of promoting your fishery, but also you don't want your fishery because it's relatively untapped mm-hmm. to become overcrowded, like mm-hmm. a lot of the fisheries in Florida are. And so, you know, trying to balance that line between, you know, promoting it and, and 
letting people see it and trying to bring as many people in there to it as I can, but also, you know, trying to keep it yeah. on the DL yeah, uh, has been tough. Can you speak a little bit more to that tension? Because that's something you and I have talked a lot about. And I mean, I even feel that with this podcast right. to some extent. I think every, I think every guy feels that to some extent because they're trying to promote their business. Sure which inevitably means bringing people mm-hmm. into that fishery mm-hmm. and yet they feel like the fishery has too much exposure. Yeah. I mean, how have you tried to navigate that? Cause remember when I was on the bow of the boat yeah. and I said, do you really want to be a guide? I tried to almost talk yeah. you out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, like I said, that's been the toughest thing, you know, because and, and there's times where I'm out there and I've got it all to myself and, uh, you know, I don't want to describe it too much, but yeah. <laughs> um, I've got it all to myself and I got, you know, a bunch of fish and, and it's phenomenal. And I, and I, and I want people to experience it, mm-hmm. right? Cause I want people to come on my boat and have a phenomenal experience of, of seeing a ton of fish mm-hmm. and getting a bunch of shots at fish, whether it's with fly or conventional or, or maybe throwing a topwater plug at them or, um, whatever it is. I want people to have that experience mm-hmm. cause it's awesome. I love it. You know, yeah. and I, and I, I want to share that with it, with people. But again, you know, it's like, but I also like kind of being the only boat out there that's doing that currently at that time, you know, um, not to say there's not other boats out there. There's other boats out there, but there's not too many other people that fish the style that I do mm. in our area. And there's no jet skis. There's no jet skis. There are airboats, however. <laughs> we do have air Actually, boats. I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very related. So, uh, I don't, I don't know which is worse, a jet ski or an airboat. Probably, I don't know. I think they're about the same. Yeah. Airboats are cool. I think airboats are cool. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a fan. Not. I'm not a fan. So uh, you can have your opinion, and I'll have mine. I, I was once waiting for. I got out the boat, and uh, Josh was in the boat, and huh. I was waiting, and I probably waited fifty, sixty yards in water, which is a long way to yeah. wait in deep yeah. water. Yeah. You know, trying to get to a tailing black drum. We were fixated on trying to catch black drum on the fly. And I had waited all the way over there and a dude in an airboat just ripped through <laughs> pulling crab traps and just ripped through and like did a little circle yeah. and left. Man, and, I can't tell you how many times I've had, I've had tailing fish yeah. around me and just an airboat comes zipping by and I, I don't, I know they're not doing it on purpose and, but they're just not used to being somebody in there as shallow yeah. as, as they are, you know, mm-hmm. trying to fish. And so, yeah, it can be frustrating sometimes. Well, thank you so much for going on, being on the podcast. I had a lot of fun talking through some of these things, and I, I really am excited about what you're doing with your business and your fishery. Well, so I appreciate you. it, Hunter. It's been it's been awesome. I've I've enjoyed listening to this podcast. I keep up with it. I think I've listened to just about every episode. And when you asked me to come on, I was I was really um, appreciative, and and so I appreciate you having absolutely. me on. What's your least favorite? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yep. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective. If you could do us a favor, please make sure to leave us a review on iTunes and continue to share the podcast. We're grateful for your support. We'd love to hear from you. This is the Captain's Collective.